1: This is Good Morning Liberty.
0: What's up, all of our liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host Charlie is not here with us right now, but I am joined by Mr. David Preston. David, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you were able to come on. Now, we were talking beforehand. You're going to be at Liberty Con here coming up in, uh, what is it, a, a couple weeks from now? I'm pretty sure. Less than two
1: weeks. Less than two weeks. It uh, starts uh, fr- uh, two weeks from this past Friday.
0: Unfortunately, we're not able to make it this year. So I told uh, told our friend Brian I wanted to talk to some people that were going to be there and just kind of see the kind of stuff uh, that's going on and you were telling me that you're on four different panels but but first off why don't you give everyone a, a nice introduction for yourself
1: i'm david hi everybody i the elevator pitch or the elevator uh, conversation mm. for my bio is i'm an international paper baby i was born in a place called gurdon arkansas that's okay if you've never heard of it if i hadn't been born there i wouldn't have uh, ever heard of it either because i lived there a whole week uh <laughs> there's a bumper sticker in Texas called uh, that says I wasn't born in Texas, but I sure wasn't in a hurry to get here. That uh, bumper sticker describes me because uh, from uh, Arkansas, my family moved to uh, Dallas, Texas from there, I moved to uh, uh, right outside of Memphis, Tennessee and Mississippi, which, you know, I kind of adopted Mississippi as my home state because, not only did I live there for seven and a half years, my formative years were there. But I also have family all over the state of Mississippi. But the longest place I've lived is in right here in Mobile, Alabama, where I'm currently located. That this Mobile area, which is right along, if you don't know, not familiar with Mobile, where the uh, birthplace of American Mardi Gras, right along the uh, the the Upper Gulf Coast uh, on the Gulf of Mexico, where the older uh, the older sister city of uh, New Orleans. We were actually founded first, which is why. Mardi I was started in Mobile because we were started here, and uh, you know we were here before New Orleans ever ever got started. <laughs> yeah, I like we, we, we those of us in Mobile we like to to mention that whenever we can. Uh, I didn't
0: I didn't know that. We all just learned something new, or I I just learned something new at least.
1: Yeah, every, every, yeah. Everybody in New Orleans hates it when we mention that, so we have to bring it up every <laughs> single time. But uh, uh, I went to uh, the University of South Alabama, go Jaguars, uh, as a political science major with the concentration in uh, pre-law. Uh, pretty much been a liberty-loving uh, individual my entire life. My uh, my dad uh, was a history major from Southern Miss. Uh, we didn't go to Six Flags and Disney World for summer vacations. We went to uh, Civil War battlefields where i developed my love of history and politics and law and uh you know and from, from there you know from then on it's just you know the rest is history there so they speak so to speak because i've been uh really into politics and liberty and you know, my political philosophy is i try to figure out the way to keep government out of it uh out of it and that's the way that i usually support
0: and you say that you've been you've always had this kind of ideology or did you develop into this ideology later on
1: No, pretty. uh, Well, you know, I started out as a uh, uh, as a conservative Republican. You know, uh, you know, grew up in the church, so Christian, social conservative, but. The more I started to you know study politics and study history, and really start to read people like Thomas Jefferson and uh, and the uh, you know the writings of the founding forefathers, I became more of a libertarian uh, quicker than most people come to libertarianism and liberty, uh, liberty loving. Uh, political philosophies because, because of that, because of reading them and because of my background in history you know, and studying political science. But uh, like I said, I've always been a, a conservative. So I've always been a limited government person. And it just, you know, it grew from from there.
0: Now, you're going to be on, you were telling me, four different panels at Liberty Con. I saw one of them is called Challenges of Journalism, Finding Truth in a Sea of Opinion and Misinformation. Uh, I don't know, that sounds crazy. I thought everything I read in the news was true already, you know. So uh, what kind of things do you think you guys will possibly find to talk about on that panel?
1: Oh, well, I'm sure there'll be something we can talk about. If not, we'll just make it up like the media does. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but no, uh, uh, back in 2020... Uh, early 2020, late 19, 2019, I started a new site called BamaNewsNow.com. It's no longer in existence. Uh, i thought about bringing it back. It's, but I will, but, uh, but uh, that's why I'm on the journalism panel because I was a uh, a journalist at uh, BamaNewsNow.com. Uh, but the whole point of that panel discussion is how do you combat misinformation and bias in the in the media? And it goes back to the individualism and the uh, that is libertarianism, and is you as the individual consumer have to be the one to fight, to combat it to fight it because journalism in America is always been biased and always had misinformation and I'd love to use this example I go back to history a lot so uh, you'll have to bear with me if you read nothing but patriot newspapers back during the American Revolution you would have never known the Continental Army lost the battle of New York City during the American Revolution because then the the patriot newspapers just didn't report it because it uh, didn't fit their narrative it didn't fit their bias so, American journalism has always been biased, has always spread misinformation. What you have to do as the news consumers, you have to read or consume different. Sources of media, you have to read the main, uh, listen to the mainstream medias the NPRs, the CNN, the Fox News, the Reason magazine, da- yeah, down here in Alabama, the al.coms, the listen to the talk radio, and you have to just you have to do that and you have to figure, become adept at what is uh, what is uh, bias, what is opinion, what is fact and what isn't and it becomes of and the more different sources that you consume the easier it actually becomes to, to, to discern what is true and what is opinion and what is it, what is true like for example i like to use this example for modern day era mary louise kelly of uh, all things considered on npr Whenever she talks about the 2020 election and Donald Trump's uh, claims of the election being stolen, she will say every single time the false claims of the stolen election or the false claims of, uh, you, know, the, you know, it's just not true that the election was stolen in 2020. And I'm like, uh, you know, she'll tell you that she's doing that because she wants to make sure that, uh, that her listeners know that it's not, yeah you know, that those claims are false, but you also have to un- understand that 95 to 99 percent of the listening audience of NPR already believes that the election wasn't stolen. Even the conservative Republicans that listen to NPR uh, don't think that the 2020 election was stolen. So at that point, every t- single time she says that, it's you know the, the false claims of the elections being stolen. It's like that's you're pushing your belief structure, your opinion, on your listeners by saying that because with the NPR audience, you can automatically make the, it's a given that the audience of NPR believes that the election wasn't stolen. And at that point, you're just pushing a narrative, you know, pushing your, your bias on your listeners. And every time the mainstream media says that the election wasn't stolen, it just completely discounts the fact that there were legitimate concerns of the rules being changed in the middle of the 2020 election that needs to be discussed by, by courts and by States because of the pandemic, it's almost like the referees and uh, uh, the, the, the referee, the officiating crew in football allowing five downs instead of four after halftime or Mm -hmm. the baseball umpire allowing four strikes instead of three after the fifth inning in baseball. It's, you know, uh, you know, are we going to have a discussion about the rules just being changed or are we just going to say, well, the election wasn't stolen. So there's nothing to talk about. No, there's stuff to talk about, but you know, it's, but when the media pushes that narrative and they do that with everything, not just elections, not just the pandemic, but everything, everything that they report and uh, you know, you know, in local media, it's, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, that gives people the perception that there's a crime problem in their, neighbor, in their area when there may not really be a crime problem in their area. It's just it seems like there is because the media is reporting it more because that's the narrative that they're pushing because they want to get the ratings. They want to get the viewers. They want to get the clicks. They want to get the listeners. So, you know, we, we as the consumer have to understand that and we have to basically filter it. Uh, through ourselves to figure out what's true and what's
0: not. Do you think that things have gotten better or worse with social media uh, as it pertains to misinformation? I think in a lot of ways, I could point to something like community notes on X are a really good thing, and the fact that you can uh, read a lot of different opinions, and also at the same time, misinformation, actual misinformation, can travel a lot faster. At the same time, it still has got it's got to be better than just having a couple main outlets, though, right?
1: Oh, it's extremely better. you know, like for example, if, uh, you know, if if it went for the internet, bammannewsnow.com would have never existed. But the, uh, uh, but, and it, I mean, it's in a lot of ways, it's better with social media being there. In a lot of ways, and in some ways, it's worse. And, uh, but the, uh, but you have, again, you have to understand it's like, for example, in the year 2020, while I was waiting in line uh, to actually vote in the election, and uh, I was uh, talking to who was the person who was my city council person at the time, is you know the power of social media companies have to spread information. They have to be careful in how they they censor it, how they monitor it, moderate it. And, uh, but at the same time, they also have to be careful on what information they allow on their platforms. You know, it's like, uh, you know, ninety percent of the traffic uh, for Bama News now, when it was a it was, when it was an entity, came through social media. And you look, you ask any of the uh, any of the the news media outlets, they're going to tell you a uh, vast majority of their traffic from to their websites or to their videos or are going to come through social media. And uh, so, social media is a great way, in all, you know, a great way in spreading information in a lot of ways. But then again, it's a great way to spread misinformation, like you said. Uh, And, you know, they've done things like the blue check marks uh, on Twitter or what's now called X. I'm old now, so it's, you know, it's always going to be Twitter to me. Uh, You know, Facebook has, uh, you know, has ways to uh, uh, verification. So, uh, uh, you know, so they have ways of making sure that the information that you're getting are from reputable sources, But at the same time, you have to, again, it goes back to the individual level. You have to ask yourself, does this, does it make sense that what this story is saying is true? Or do I need to go do a a quick Google search about this to figure out, is it true or not? You know, because if it's true, it's not going to be just that one source that's going to be reporting. It's going to be 10, 20. A hundred sources are going to be reporting that same information, not just that one or two sources that may uh, that may pop up.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of that still right now. I could make a whole job just, uh, just trying to critique misinformation or fact check things on Twitter. I mean, you see so much. See, I just said Twitter, not X right then. It's just a natural thing. Um, you can make a whole job just doing that. But uh, luckily, uh, I think Community Notes is doing a pretty good job at that right now. Um, I did want to. You, you're on. You're on four panels. So you've got two that I think we could lump together here a little bit. Where you're going to be talking about qualified immunity, and then another one where you're going to be talking about civil asset forfeiture. Uh, so when it comes to civil rights and policing, is that a pretty important thing to you? I'm, I'm guessing. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. That's not because
0: I'm anti-police. It's because I'm pro-accountability and
1: pro-liberty, and yeah, you know, pro, especially individual liberty. And my approach to both of those those topics is really going to come from the same place, and that is, let's not let the perfect be the enemy of good. For example, civil asset forfeiture. There's something that we can do as states, as, new, as, uh, as uh, you know, policymakers, that the policymakers can do with civil asset forfeiture that would severely curtail the what I consider abuses. A lot of uh, pro-police people may not consider it uh, abuses, but uh, the abuses of the civil asset forfeiture system, and that is add loser pays to, uh, to civil asset forfeiture. For example, in 2017, seventy-nine percent uh, of all uh, of all civil asset forfeiture cases in the United States were decided in favor of the uh, of the of the state, where the state got to keep the property they were trying to seize. However, when you dig down into those numbers, fifty-two percent of those uh, of the you know of all cases were default judgments, which means the property owner just didn't even show up to court. They didn't fight it. They just said, you know, to heck with it. Let them have it. That means about roughly half of all contested cases of civil asset forfeiture, the property owner was allowed to keep the, uh, keep the property. The reason why you, you had about half of all, case, uh, all cases not even contested is because the value of the property was less than the cost of fighting the property or fighting the, the, the forfeiture. So it was just cheaper for the property owner to go buy another whatever, a new car, a new computer, whatever, than it was to fight uh, the state to keep that property. So uh, if you have loser pays, you're going to have more organizations like the Institute for Justice or the ACLU create nonprofit organizations where they will fight civil asset forfeiture for people that want to fight it on principle alone. Because they know that if they win those cases, then the state will have to pay for those legal, the, legal, the legal cost of fighting that. What that will also do is that will cre- uh, create uh, force police departments and district attorney's offices to create a, an extrajudicial uh, process to allow property owners to get their property back without even going through court. Like, for example, here in Mobile County, if you can, if it's the Mobile County Sheriff wants to uh, seize your property, and uh, you can prove to them that your property wasn't gotten through Ill, illegal means, they'll give you your property back without even going to court. Hmm. Uh, for example, there was a, a, a Chinese, uh, an Asian man that had had uh, that was going to go buy a piece of equipment for his uh, Chinese restaurant. And he got pulled over by a cop, and he had like $10,000 or more in his, uh, in his cash, in his uh, possession. And, the, you know, of course, cops see that. They're going to seize that, thinking that it's drug money. He was able to prove through bank records and whatnot that that uh, money was legitimate money. Sheriff's department gave him that money back uh, without even having to, him having to go to court. You're going to have uh, stuff like that where you're going to uh, you're going to reduce the amount of seizures by law enforcement in this country because. First of all, you're going to have more people fighting their, uh, their seizures off of principle because they know they, can, uh, they know they can win. And you're going to have more law enforcement organizations uh, creating extrajudicial means of getting, the, getting people their property back that can prove that that property wasn't ill-gotten. Ill Same with uh, qualified immunity. The problem with qualified immunity isn't the immunity part. It's the qualified part. The qualified immunity assumes that law enforcement officers in this country are given the best training, the best technology, and the best experience to, you know, to make the judgments on, uh, you know, on who to arrest, who not to arrest, how much force to use, how much not force not to use. And, you know, and that's just not the case. I mean, the, the example. I like to give to illustrate that point is Derek Chauvin was a field, uh, field officer trainer for the Minneapolis Police Department when he had his knee on the neck of George Floyd. That's, yeah, if that's the type of people you have training the officers of tomorrow, they're not, by definition, not receiving the best training that they can. So if we're not going to pay to get the best officers uh, as taxpayers, we're not going to pay the uh, officers professional wages to give them the, get to attract the best people for the job. If we're not going to pay them to give them the best training and the best technology that they can to, uh, uh, to, to do their job effectively and safely for themselves and for the people. Then really, why are we, uh, uh, why are we giving them qualified immunity? Mm. And as yeah you know, uh, like for example, you're, you're a broadcaster. You're, yeah. Uh, you, know, you talk for a living. Mm-hmm. You practice talking for a living because you want. That's what you want to be best at. Doctors, uh, surgeons practice surgery. Learn, read up on the latest surgical techniques to be the best surgeons that they can be. Police officers. What's the the most things that they practice on a regular, consistent basis? That's firing ranges. That's deploying their tasers, that's, uh, they're in training to learn, to teach, uh, teach them how to get people to voluntarily forfeit their constitutional rights to remain silent and uh, other constitutional rights, because that's what they want to be best at. What kind of uh, training do they get for de-escalation? What kind of training do they get for interacting with people on a, on a, you know, the general public and being, you know, and just being nice not very much. They do receive some because the federal government requires it, but they may receive maybe once a quarter if uh, uh, if their police departments are focused on that. But they're not receiving it on a monthly basis. They're not re- being reinforced on a weekly basis like they are their uh, firearms proficiency or you know taking down a suspect uh, through physical uh, you know physical altercation or anything like
0: that. And so do you think that that's something departments around the country are moving towards right now? you think we're making progress on that, or are, do you think a lot of them are just talking about making progress on that?
1: Well, they're talking about making progress on that. And uh, the reason for that is, is because they, the, police, the police unions, the Fraternal Order of Polices in this country, are one of the most powerful lobbies in any state. It's you know it's the same in Tennessee where you're at as it is in Alabama. Uh, that's why you uh, you know when the sheriffs uh, are like for example when the sheriff uh, uh, the sheriffs really fought for a long time in Alabama constitutional carry and it wasn't until a sheriff's deputy that was also a state legislator really started pushing constitutional carry in a Republican-led uh, state legislature that we got constitutional carry in this state. We've had a, a, a Republican legislature in, uh, this, in the state of Alabama for well over a decade now. We should have had constitutional carry for a long time, and we, we've we only had it for a couple of years, and that's because uh, the sheriffs really fought it in this state. And uh, there's a reason why when an officer, uh, an officer is shot or killed in the line of duty, that the police really put on a pageant for their funeral for the community. You know, they're gonna tell you it's because they wanna honor the service of that officer and uh, they really wanna uh, pay the respects to their family. And that is part of it. But there's a reason why the the funeral procession for that and those, those funerals is miles long with officers from around the country. And that's because because people, lawmakers, the general public uh, urge their lawmakers to make policies based off of emotion. And when you have officers that are shot in the line of duty, that, uh, you know, and they're, they know that those images from those funerals are a powerful image that can drive people's emotions to get people to advocate for with their local policymakers to make pro policing decisions decisions like for example here in mobile uh you know uh here in mobile we just had this the city council pass two uh two uh ordinances that codified one that will uh, allow greater access to body cam footage uh by family members and uh, the suspects of the body cam and another one uh, that eliminated uh pre-dawn no not warrants uh being executed by the police department the police department fought those uh, ordinances, even though there was a policy by the mayor already in place that prevented uh, that, uh, that did the same thing. All the city council wanted to do was codify the law, but they fought it because they know that if it's policy, it can be easily changed later.
0: If you had the choice right now, would you just do away with police unions?
1: Again, uh, because I'm a very pro individual freedom and liberty Uh, I wouldn't say uh, I would be against doing away with police unions because everybody has the right to associate with whomever they want. That goes into the the fourth uh, panel that I'm going to be on the NIMBYs. If you have, if you want to be a member of a neighborhood that's a homeowners association, go right ahead. You're not going to find me living in that neighborhood, but uh, people have the right to free association. If police officers want to go form a police union, so that they can advocate for their, uh, you know, for policies for better pay, for better equipment, for um, for more time off, for better training, more power to them. I'm not opposed to that, but at the same time, just like with teachers' unions, just like with labor unions, just like with public employee, other public employees' union, their uh, power needs to be balanced with the power uh, against the individual rights and individual uh, freedoms and liberties that that everybody enjoys under the Constitution. The individual rights, individual liberties, and freedoms of everybody needs to be the driving factor of every policymaker in this country. And if, uh, if you're a politician or you're an elected official in this country and that's not your number one priority, you don't need to be an elected official in my opinion.
0: So you mentioned the NIMBYs panel Uh, Well, we got a few minutes. Why don't you tell me what that one's going to be about?
1: That's going to be uh, basically people that are uh, uh, using the power of government to prevent things like Uber or Airbnb from moving into their neighborhoods. And I, uh, I told I, I told Students for Liberty that if they uh, and Brian uh, that if uh, they wanted me on that panel, as long as I could badmouth uh, homeowners associations, that I would be uh, that I'd be gladly on that panel because basically homeowners associations are uh, free uh, free people associating, but sacrificing stuff they people wouldn't even be willing to sacrifice to their own city governments or county governments. Just because it's their neighbors, because they think, like, oh, my neighbors would never do that. But we see, <laughs> see hear so many horror stories about people uh, have battling their homeowners associations over the littlest of stuff that, uh, you know, that uh, it's like, like, for example, I don't live in a homeowners association neighborhood. I live in a community action group neighborhood. Community, our community action group is completely voluntary. You can choose to, pay, choose to be a member and pay your dues, or not choose to pay your members uh, be a member. But we do things; are they do things like pay for security cameras in the neighborhood? We put a Mardi Gras uh, parade on every year for the uh, for the kids in the neighborhood. We do trunk or treat. We do some family family oriented events down at the neighborhood park. But uh, which is uh, but because it's completely voluntary, they're more community driven than they are power. Power trip uh, driven—that would be the case in other homeowners association neighborhoods. But yeah, we, you know, but people are using the power of government. Like for example, one of our local uh, legislators um, here, she owns the monopoly, the, the major monopoly on uh, taxi companies in the uh, in, in Mobile. She tried to fight Uber coming into Mobile at the state level. When the mayor of Mobile not only welcomed Uber with open arms, actually worked with Uber and said, hey, you do this, 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 and this, we have no problem with you coming into Mobile and providing more competition. And guess what? Uber said, great, we'll do it. They did it. We haven't had any problems with Uber uh, with Uber in this city, except for the fact that the taxi companies didn't like the competition. She tried to fight at the state level, but it didn't really catch uh, uh uh, garner any traction, thankfully, as she ended up giving up that fight.
0: There were a lot of fights like that when Uber and Lyft were, were first coming out. I mean, even Nashville was the same way. Uh, Uber drivers weren't allowed to go to the airport for the longest time. You know, one of the best hotspots there. And a lot of cities around the country tried to keep them out. I don't know if there's still a city in the country that doesn't allow Uber or Lyft to operate, but it's kind of wild to think back to that time when when city governments were l- literally fighting because of the taxi cab uh, unions or companies to uh, to keep them out, That's kind of wild to think about now
1: going back to the power of the, their unions, their associations and it, uh, you know and taxicabs especially in bigger cities like New York and Washington, you know the the whole uh, medallion thing uh, the whole medallion system become a basically a racket for this uh, for not only the government to make revenue but for the individual bureaucrats that run those those divisions to make money because if you're a taxicab uh, taxicab driver and you need a medallion to make a living, you know, you're basically at the behest of the uh, the bureaucrats that issue those. And if you're a bureaucrat, you can be like, "Well, I've got this person, this person, and this person that all want this one medallion. Who's going to pay me the most money to 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 get that medallion?" And that's yeah, uh, you know, the the political scientist to me is says that uh, you know that's just human nature that that corruption, yeah, uh, you know, and, and governments just going to be there because, you know, competition creates that corruption. You know, I like to say political science, the study of political science is basically marketing for criminals.
0: Yeah. I I was going to back you up early on the HOA thing uh, as well. I do live in an HOA neighborhood. And let me tell you what, that can be just as tyrannical as your local or state government or your federal government. Uh, I mean, we've only, there's a hundred houses in the neighborhood and uh, that place, it can get nuts. So I don't think I'm going to be in an HOA again next time I move because we have this little AOC you want to be, you go around and take over, power the people. We're going to put swimming pools in and stuff like that. And nothing's happened except for her husband got a bunch of money because he owns a security camera company. And that's who we decided to go through for the security cameras. It's crazy how, like what you just said, it's human nature. And this thing happens all the way down to my neighbors that are a street away from me. That's just, it's the way some people operate when they get power
1: yeah well we have a, a in the one of the suburbs of mobile we have a huge neighborhood called lake forest and that homeowners association there is regularly either being sued by their uh, by the by the property owners in the neighborhood or suing the property owners because the property owners are organizing a a resistance uh, campaign to get uh, the people that are on the HOA board off the HOA board because they've they become too corrupt or they've become too power hungry. And so, uh, yeah, so it's just become a huge mess. And I, when I bought my home, I was like, I don't want to be, be involved in that. Just let me, let me be. And then if I choose to join, uh, join the, the neighborhood association, I will make that choice voluntarily. And I do, I pay my $75. You, and that's another thing when you have a, a completely voluntarily voluntary group. Like we've got the community action group. They have an incentive to keep the membership level dues low because if they become too high, There's nothing that they can do if you decide not to pay them because it's voluntary. Whereas with a homeowner's association, you don't pay your homeowner's association dues. They can put a lien against your property. They can sue you. They can actually foreclose on your home if you don't pay your HOA fees. And uh, so they have absolutely zero incentive to keeping your, uh, your, your dues low zero. Whereas with the, our voluntary group, they have every incentive to keep them low. They keep, they generate just enough money to pay for the the security cameras, do the the, the neighborhood events that we uh, that I talked about, you know, keep the landscaping up on the entrances to the neighborhood, pay for the, the Christmas decorations, and that's it. And uh, I love it. I would highly recommend uh, a, a neighborhood that has a voluntary association like that.
0: That sounds good. I'm going to look for one sometime. Uh, well, uh, David, thank you so much for coming on today for uh, spending this time. Uh, We spent a little bit more time today than we planned on, but it was a great conversation. So I'm able, I'm glad we were able to do it. Is there a place where people can go to follow you? You got a website, a Twitter or something like that? Well, uh, it's at deep Preston, 2020,
1: uh, on Facebook, uh, Twitter slash X, uh, it's uh david preston underscore 61 on instagram i believe uh i'm not a thousand percent sure on that but uh so don't hold me to it but if you google david you know search for david preston on instagram i'm sure it will come up fairly uh, you know at the top of the uh uh at the top of the list how many david preston's do you actually know (laughs) uh so but yeah that's the yeah Uh, that's how you can find me on social media
0: I just want to mention, to everyone, once again, that you're going to be at LibertyCon in Washington, D.C., and I think that's uh, February 2nd to the 4th. Are the are the dates on that? Pretty sure. Correct. So Correct. If anyone Friends. listening right now is looking for a reason to go to uh, D.C., if you'd ever want to do that to yourself, just kidding. It'll be a fun trip, I'm sure, and LibertyCon will be uh, well worth it. Uh, go check out one of the panels that David's speaking at. But, um, David, thank you so much for your time.